Hi everyone, I hope you're keeping well during this difficult time we're all going through. We're back with another episode of Time Out with a great guest and an important message. Within Thunderguard, Ishmael Fontaine joins me, Mark Jones, as he tells me his thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement and his experiences of racism throughout his life and career. We also speak about his time on the German circuit and how he's enjoying life back in England with Thunder. We're going to get on to your career shortly, but I just wanted to speak to you about the Black Lives Matter movement because I know you've been putting a lot of posts and brilliant messages and like we mentioned, you've been on the Below the Rim show to talk about it. How is seeing the protest and solidarity on social media and the mostly positive responses, how has that affected you in the last few weeks? I was not surprised by the solidarity shown by a lot of the British basketball players because in, in England especially, we have such a diverse group of players. Um, not only that, but a lot of the Afro-Caribbean players, we know where we're from, we know where we originate from, we understand the, um, the plight of the black, the black community and the black person all over the world, not just in America, but in England also. We understand our history. So, for instance, I knew about the slave trader, the slave trader um, statues way before people started, decided to tear them down. Um, I knew about the Britain's um, role in transatlantic slave trade overall, and I, I understood. So, uh, so a lot of these things came with being a Black British person. You know, coming off the with my 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 grandparents, my great uncles, they came off the Windsor. So, a lot of these conversations about racism, unfortunately, a lot of Black people we have to have these conversations in at an early age, so we understand what how to deal with it at an early age from our, our parents talking to us about it, our parents, especially when we know it's not going to be spoken to about in schools, per se. So I wasn't surprised about the solidarity of the Black Lives Matter movement, especially on the, black, on the basketball circuit, because so many of us are black and so many of our teammates who are white have to see and witness racism that happens to us or listen to it at a training session. Or guess what happened? In the, I went to my training session after being searched by police on the way to a training session. So I told my teammates, look, man, they just searched me for no reason. I had a basketball in my hand. I didn't look like a criminal. So I'm not surprised, to be fair. When you've told people about situations like that, like, for example, I know you mentioned yourself that some people have messaged you about certain things that have been said privately rather than publicly for fear of things being seen in a negative way. How... Have those moments in your career been dealt with? Do you think? I I feel I I felt sorry for every single person who texted me privately because they were worried about repercussions. Um, personally, I, I was I, I felt sorry for them because at the end of the day, if something if they see something that was 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 deemed as either racist or, or racially uh, insensitive, it should be they should not. Be, they're not the problem in that situation. They should be able to openly say this is wrong, um, without fear of not having opportunity to do something or an opportunity to play somewhere. I've always dealt with racism head on. I've always never shied away because I don't think it's something that should be happening, and I'm not going to hide. And I've always been called, you know, growing up in, in, in as a teenager, I've always been called the person that calls out race. Institution, institutionalized racism, whether it's on um, the media or, t or or anything else. And I've always kind of been shut down by certain people, but I've never stopped 
stopped dealing with that. I mean, I was in Germany a few years ago. They were celebrating Christmas and they had like a black caricature of, uh, I don't know, he was uh, supposed to be a caricature of um, a chocolate biscuit or something like that. And they thought it was funny and I and I was the only one that kind of said it wasn't funny. And I, I got looked at as, oh, you're ruining this event. But if the event comes at the cost of my culture, then no, I'm not, I'm not going to think that's funny. I'm not going to enjoy that. You know, so it was, it, it's, it's never been hard for me per se, but I can understand where it's hard for some other people because racism, especially in this country, is so insidious and, it, and a lot of people don't even know it exists. So at, at the level it does, they think it's just a level of, oh, he called me in vain. Oh, she, she, she clutched her at her bag. But all those things have levels of systemic racism. What you see on the, what you see on TV, how black people portrayed in, in, in media, what what show, what what shows get per, what like portrayed more? So you've got kidhood, adulthood. You have um, Blue Story. You have all these shows where young black males are seen in this violent, aggressive way. But we don't have any shows about per se the black kids who are studying at a high level, who are who are young geniuses. Anything that nothing that's shown in a positive light. I'm not saying that these there are people in the community or in the black community who are not having to deal with um, poverty and crime. and But it's the way these shows are written, there's no context to, as to why that's happening. So I, underst- I, I understand why people are scared to, to speak out about these things, but in the same breath, that, doesn't, that's a, that plight doesn't affect me. I will always say that is wrong, that is not happening, that is a racist thing. So I've never had a problem dealing with it in any walks of life, to be fair. Do you think then that the protests and the the social media backing for this movement is sort of the right direction to get to the point? Because obviously it's the early steps and the first steps and a lot more needs to be done. But do you think the sort of solidarity that's been shown over the last few weeks is the right direction to get to that point where everyone's sort of on the right track, I suppose? I, definitely, I definitely think because now when the protesters, the protests are uh, progressing, they're kind of speaking my truth in a way, and a lot of our people's truth. If you ever listen to uh, someone like Joe, I can win. I, I'll call him. Um, talk about racism. We 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 want, and, and and someone like Vince McCauley talk about racism. We want more education on racism. We want more people to understand what microaggressions are. We want more people to understand the history of racism, the history of systemic racism, and and. The fact of the matter is, we, we, we currently had statues that were celebrating people and forgetting how they made their money we're for, and forgetting how they were prosperous in this world. We're, we're celebrating people who were compensated 20 million, around £20 million pounds to, uh, for, for losing their property, it was called, and not for actually owning slaves and dehumanising human beings. So I, I want... I think the protests are so important because now people have to educate themselves about it. And if they don't want to educate themselves about it, they're going to be seen as the wrong kind of people because education is way more important than ignorance. And it will always be way more important than ignorance. When I defend British basketball against people, I tell them, you don't understand what you're talking about. I had to defend, I defended um, British basketball against a guy who got 13,000 views saying British basketball sucks. And half the things he was saying were wrong. 
He, he was, didn't talk about, about academies. He didn't talk about our professional leagues properly. He, he, he used up, like, our lower-budgeted teams as an excuse to say British basketball sucks. But I said, well, you didn't speak about this. You didn't speak about Myers Cup. You didn't speak about Barkanabi. You didn't speak about our great prospects. So through education of, and knowledge, I understood where he was coming from was a place of ignorance. So if people, to flip it back onto basketball, to flip it back onto Black Lives Matter, through protesting, we're not only asking, stop doing this to us, we're asking, educate yourself and educate what we're actually complaining about. We're complaining about not only the bare in your face racism that you might see at a, at a football game or, 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 or one of these EDL rallies, we're talking about systemic racism. We're talking about the fact that Boris Johnson can have can be told that there's a racial racial problem, and then he wants to um, he wants to employ someone who doesn't believe racism exists as the racial the racial liaisons officer. So we're talking about all these things, and that's where the the, the protest comes when when the voice was really low on a like sub level. Now it's a loud level where he's directly being scrutinised for it. So yeah, I, I, it has to be the protest. It has to be the way forward. That's the only way because. If we if we keep being quiet, no one's going to know. And, and and as you can see, what the process have done, Basketball England have taken a stance, BBL has taken a stance, the GB team has taken a stance because these this represents a large group of their demographic. I saw a phrase, uh, "cleansing your circle," and some brilliant responses yeah. from you from what seems to be a smaller amount of people with perhaps, as you say, about the need to be educated. And there's been a a small amount of negative comments, hasn't there, which you've sort of replied for your social media channels in terms of these uh, debates, in, and they shouldn't be really, should they, but about statues and things like that. What do you think when you see these kind of comments? Because I know, as you say, you're quick to educate people and explain the reasons why, but when you see those comments, what is it you think? At the beginning, at the beginning, I, I've always, so I've always commented back on things like this. When, when my daughter plays football at a pretty high level, um, and when I saw Aluko being targeted for racism and no one really looked into it, I had to, I spoke up for Aluko. People were saying that she wasn't good enough to play in the England team. It's not because it was racism. But I said, actually, she was the only player at that time playing Champions League, so that can't be the case. So we must look more into the racism aspect of what she's saying. But when I see people, the reason why I say cleanse your circle is because there is no, there is no space for opinions on racism. Either you are anti-racist or you are on the side of the race. I'm not going to call you a racist, but if you're not anti-racist, we know what side you're on. So there's no point in me trying to educate you about something when you are fighting me on something as blatant as racism. So... Yes, cleanse your circle. If you've tried to speak to this person, if you've tried to show the fact that, that racism exists and they're still screaming all lives matter and they're still screaming what about black on black crime, which is absolute garbage, and they're still screaming all these things, you can, you might continue to speak to them, but also you must understand that if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. You must understand that. If you, if you, and, and what's got, the reason why I say cleanse your circle, because it's not only getting rid of the people who don't want to hear and doesn't want, don't want to progress about the new way of, of supporting black people in this country or in America or anywhere. But it's also the fact of your mental health. I, you can't have to deal with these kind of people every day when you know what's wrong. If, if, 
And in the space, if I, I might get even more extreme. If, if rape, rape was a pandemic, okay, and was, and was dealt with, and people were saying, well, if she didn't dress so provocatively or he didn't dress more so provocatively, he wouldn't be raped, right? That would be, and there would be an outcry of how ignorant is that? That doesn't, that doesn't confirm consent. You, we're, we're not talking about how a person's dressed. We're not talking about how a person's looked. That means that that person is, is, uh, is allowed to be violated. We're talking about that person having the right to exist in a certain way. So if you can't get behind that, then yes, cleanse your circle. Get the Vimto out, close the eyes, delete, block, ignore, and drink your Vimto and enjoy your life. Because there's no point in speaking to someone who doesn't want to adhere to the change of Black Lives Matter. I know, as you say, British basketballer have committed to supporting this movement. And I know Basketball England uh, released a statement. And through my role, through the social media aspect, I've tried sharing resources and posts. And that's just the start, really, isn't it? I know. And the clear message is there is a lot more still to be done. So I'd just like to get your thoughts on what would you like to see going forward from the British basketball community? Oh, well, I, 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 I always, the reason why I follow Basketball England is not just because I'm a player in this country who wants to play in this country and who wants to progress the sport in this country, even though I did take a sabbatical away from the sport in this country. I went to Germany. Um, I want to see... I want the British basketball and Basketball England um, to celebrate their black players because I don't think they really understand that by celebrating the black players and celebrating players of all races in their in their team and celebrating diversity over the year, over the course of the season, or or maybe it's I I don't super agree with um, um, Black History Month, you know that by myself, but I understand why it's there. Celebrating the diversity that the team has because we 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 are like a lot of us are British play, British people. You know, and they, black, black people are seeing seeing themselves as British. So celebrating it. I know right now it's a dark time, and we have to deal with the racial racism issue. And I'm really proud to be part of an organisation like Basketball England, who are now listening to us and standing with us and retweeting what we're saying and sharing resources. But also, when when we when it's applicable, share the uh, uh, the celebrate black players because. If we don't see, if we don't, we celebrate players anyway. So we we all celebrate, we'll celebrate players playing in playing basketball in this country, like the Jones, the Jones, like the guys from Commonwealth. But what people are not getting, what they might start getting now, is that black players, where they had to get, where they had to get to to be able to represent their country, where they come from, what they've had to deal with to be able to play basketball in this country can be different to what maybe a white player has had to deal with, okay? I'm not saying that you didn't work hard. I'm not saying that you're, you're not a better, you don't deserve to be there. But I'm saying a lot of black players, if you literally listen to what they've had to deal with, just like I said, I could have been taken away for being black, walking down the street, trying to get to my practice. That could have stopped me wanting to go out and not play basketball anymore. I don't know. And honestly, that could, that, there was a time, there was a month, as a 15-year-old, where I literally got searched every other week for being, for fitting a description, even though I had a basketball in my, in my hand. 
even though I had my I had my bus pass, even though I had all these things on me, I'm saying what description do I fit? Because you don't search any of the white guys that come over here. I'm wearing a hoodie just like him. So that did turn me into having to read about black history and having to read about um, the race relations with the police. Because, and that did make me feel like maybe I'm only seen as a criminal. And there's going to be other young players that are from basketball England that might have to deal with the same, deal with that plight. They might have to look at basketball England and go, why aren't I being celebrated as much as St. George's Day? Because I'll tell you something about the St. George's flag. Yes, you've had players like Orlan Jackman, Joe Akinwin, Rianne Bailey, so many players, right, who have celebrated, who have worn that with pride, but they can walk down their street and see the St. George's flag and understand that that person might be a nationalist. Because right now that flag has been taken over by people like the EDL, like uh, Tommy Robinson and all, the, and, and all these people who are using it to keep Britain Christian or keep Britain white. And that's what's being perpetuated in media. It's not the black players that are going to the Commonwealth to play for, to play for uh, go traveling to the Gold Coast to play for England. It's not people like Mo Solude and Jordan Spencer who have been playing in, in, in um, black, playing in um, England basketball all their life, even though they wear a flag that they might be intimidated by when they walk past it in the street. It's not... Same, same with the, the female players. You, if you if you listen to the, the podcast, she said that she was one of the only black players at a camp in Slovakia, and she wasn't seen as an English person. She was seen as a, someone a black person, and they were touching her hair, and a lot of other microaggressions were happening. So, I would love basketball England to be an educational tool from a black player standpoint, so other young black players who play in this country can see where they can get to. I would, I would, I would love that. And yes, celebrate St George's Day as well because. Then black people can black people who are British who have British passports who do want to play for England can actually acknowledge the pride of playing for England, where other guys had to find the motivation to play for England. So, so then, and I think in the long run, you get better performances out of these players. Honestly, I honestly believe that a player can be proud to play for England and be a black man at the same time because sometimes it's not one and the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure the whole basketball community will want to echo those comments you made. Thanks for sharing them. I appreciate you being so honest and open as well. So in terms of your on-the-court career then in basketball, where did it all start for you? You grew up in London, is that right? Yeah, I'm from, I'm from London. I grew, up, I grew up partly in East London and partly in North London. Northwest London, um, to be exact. I, I started playing basketball because I realised I, I actually love football. And actually, I come from a football family. My brother was an excellent football player. I have a cousin. I don't want to really mention his name. I don't want to name drop. I have a cousin who played at Tottenham. He played at West Ham. I play. I have a. I have a. Um, um, uncles and players that played in all sorts of leagues and, and coached in all sorts of leagues, football leagues, and they saw I was quick and I was athletic. Um, but I. My brother got me into basketball. My brother started playing basketball um, and really it kind of stuck with me even though, he's, even though he was an excellent football player. My brother, I don't even know if he knows that he's the one that's got me into basketball. He asked for a basketball for his birthday. He got one and um, he destroyed me one-on-one every single time he played basketball. He absolutely destroyed me. It was ridiculous. But when I started realising that I enjoyed the, the speed of the game um, and I 
at 14, I, st- I started dunking at 14. I realized that basketball could be the way for me. So that's how I really got into basketball. And my youth career started at Bynum Bulldogs with Ovi Soko. I think he started at Bynum Bulldogs too. So Northwest London. And when I got a bit older, I moved back to East London, Plasto to be exact, and I played for the Waltham Forest Spartans. And um, I think Robert Gilchrist played there. Will Saunders, I played with Will Saunders and his brother Aidan Saunders. I played with a guy called Curtis Riley, excellent little point guard who played for England um, at the youth level. I played, I, I, I played with some excellent players, both in Barnet Bulldogs and um, Wolf Forest Spines. I wanted to go to America, so I went to America in 2008. I went to Las Vegas and played at Academy in Las Vegas for a little while. Nothing too strenuous, but I decided not to go to junior college. I got a lot of junior college offers. I had one NAIA college offer, but my goal was actually to play in the NBA, and I, I and I did not see a lot of NAIA junior college players progressing in that kind of fashion. So I decided to come back home. I, I started. Um, I, I I didn't I didn't play any basketball at a national level because I wasn't sure about the NCAA clearinghouse and what eligibility was like. So luckily now for the players now, I'm so happy for them. They understand NCAA clearinghouse. They understand um, all of all of it, so they can play in the NBL one and they can play in the BBL and still go off to college. Like you'll see probably Cameron Hill just will do. Like you see you saw Jordan Spencer did. Um, and now they, there's more education, but back in the day, we didn't have social media. My basketball tape, actually, was, I sent my basketball tape, I got a lot of high school offers, but I didn't get I-20, it was called. I got lots of high school offers. My high school, my, my basketball tape was sent on a video <laughs> to Greenfield, McLean, Ohio, where the coach wanted me to play for him, but we could not figure out how to get a... Um, how to get a, a, a legal uh, visa in time for me to play there. So it's really funny now that guys can just post their stats and post their highlights online. It takes literally a day and, and it's there for hundreds of coaches to see. And I'm really, really happy that's happening. Obviously, talent is being proven in this country. You're seeing so many players going to play in uh, uh, America or in Italy and Germany and all because of um, social media. So great i'm really really appreciative of that when i decided to play professionally uh, i went to play for the mk lions i stayed there for four years uh, when they relocated to london i was in search of more playing time because i felt like what i did in especially the year before they moved to uh, london i was a starter i was guarding the best mostly guarding the best player on the opposite team and that kind of didn't gra- gather momentum when london lions started so i decided to move to Essex Leopards and I played at Essex Leopards for two seasons my first season there I had to fight my way into the starting lineup and I did that with uh, probably probably after the Leeds game I had a 19 point outburst where I scored 19 points in the second half of a game against Leeds Carnegie who were in the top three at the time and who had beat them previously before I got there um, I ended up staying there for another year and then I then I to, to Germany I was, in my first year at Germany, I was um, the third best in three-pointers made in all of the leagues of Germany whilst playing the least minutes. So I played 18 minutes a game, but I was third best in three-point shots, three-pointers made. I ended up leaving that team and going to Hanover, where um, 
not only did I get, get all my basketball uh, coaching qualifications, which I really enjoyed. It's, it's a longer pro, it's a little bit of a longer process. It takes 10 days and you've got to stay over in a campus, but I got my, my, my B license in Germany. Um, I coached, I was offered to come back and coach um, at the international school in Hanover, but I declined. I moved to, um, which I now see was a big mistake. I should have stayed at Hanover. Um, I moved to um, Rosenheim, which was a horrible experience, and we'll, we'll keep it short at Rosenheim. So when I, when I got back to England, I ended up getting a phone call from Zaire Taylor, and he talked to me about winning the championship, because actually that's all I've ever really wanted to do. I did leave England and play in Germany. I did try to follow in Orland Jackman's footsteps. Now, I'll explain a little bit about Orland Jackman. Me and Orland Jackman aren't friends, per se, we know of each other, but he's a big inspiration to a lot of Barca players in this country. He went to uh, Iselhorn Kangaroos. He dragged Iselhorn Kangaroos from regular, reg, reg, regional Liga 1 to the Pro B. He dominated the Pro B. He got them to a playoff. He got them to the playoff semis or the playoff finals. I'm not 100% sure, but he was an awesome player in Germany. Not, he was every single team wanted him. And when he decided to leave Iselhorn, they offered him more money than any other player that they received, they, they recruited that year. So I felt like Orlan Jackman was an excellent player and he should have been playing Pro A. He decided not to play Pro A. He decided against playing Pro A and he came back and played in the BBR. Um, so I was really inspired to go to Germany and play basketball because of people like Orlan Jackman and Miles Hessen. I wanted to build my stock, actually, though. I wanted to build my stock in Germany to be able to come back and play on a team like Worthing Thunder or a BBL team who uh, were trying to win a championship because that's my mentality. I want to win so I have a legacy to show other British players how to do it. Um, and now I play, I was, I was at Worthing Thunder for the last two seasons. I run a basketball academy there. We, we got to the trophy final where we won. Unfortunately, we came up short in the playoff finals, which still haunts me to this day. I still watch that game to figure out what went wrong. I kind of understand what went wrong, but we won't even get into that. Um, and last season was, for me, a bit of a disappointment considering the kind of players we've had on the roster. But I think moving forward, it will get better. So that's kind of what my, my career has come from. It's 11 years of trying out. I tried out every year for London, like for MK Lions. Like, there was not one year I didn't try out um, to, to the right to stay on that team. Um, coaching in the community, I taught, I've taught National League level guys since I was, uh, I'd say, 20 years of age. Um, I now, I'm now 30. I, 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 run a, I was running a basketball academy in Worthing. They had their best year ever, um, basketball-wise, for the last four years. They were losing, not winning games. They, they, they're winning games. They got to the semi-final of the cup. They got to the, you know... They, they were top, top two, top three in um, AOC play. Um, I, I run a, I helped run the National League pro. I helped run the National League program in um, Worthing. I also helped with the social media. I, I went to visit schools. I did appearances. I did all the stuff professional basketball players do. I also think Worthing, Worthing has a, an excellent fan base and are really working hard. And, and I'm really proud that they were one of the teams that said they want to keep playing because when you stop a whole league for a year. Is detrimental to um, the development of basketball in this country. So, yeah, that's my that's my career so far. To be fair, my career has been 
an up and down ride. It hasn't gone how I thought it would go, but there's still time. You're clearly proud of the work you've done at, at Worthing. So you mentioned the offer of a coaching role at Hangover and you said no and that you regret it. What was it that made you say no at the time? To be, to be completely honest with you, Hanover, I was at Hanover in, when I was 26. I, 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 loved, I loved Hanover. I actually had to coach the actual team. So luckily I got my B license or they would have been fined, I think it's 3,000 euros a game. I got my B license to coach so um, early in the earlier in the year, and I my, our coach unfortunately left due to health reasons. So I had to coach that team for six weeks while they looked for a replacement. Um, so luckily I had my B license on me, uh, but the the, interna- the international school offered me a contract, but I felt like it would hinder me playing basketball, which is why I went to Germany in the first place. If I go, I, I would if I went and coached. At the school there, am I still playing basketball? Am I still a professional basketball player? What, what, like, what's happening? I understand that, yeah, there's money, but this team in Rosenheim offered me money to play basketball, and if I wanted to coach, I could, and which I did. I took them up on their offer. I trained a girl called Sophie Perna. She's a German international. She is also um, one of the most up-and-coming prospects. She plays top league Germany uh, for Wasserberg. My cousin also, my, my cousin Natalie Fontaine, who plays professional basketball, who's played in Germany, who's played in Romania, who's played currently in France, who's played in Sweden, who is a Sweden international. She lives in Wasserberg, and Rosenheim is literally a 15-minute drive to Wasserberg, so I could see my cousin every day. So not only am I not having to have more responsibility as a 26-year-old, um, I get to see my cousin every day perform at a very high level, play Euro, Euro, League, Euro Cup basketball, um, play, um, represent her country, win every weekend. Um, I get to speak to her. And she's Swedish, so I don't get to see her every time. She lives in Sweden. I get to talk to her and see her every day. So I couldn't not take the opportunity to be around my family when I'm leaving family at home every time I fly out. So it was, it was, a, it was a hard decision because I loved Hanover. Um, I loved them so much. I still talk to all my teammates from Hanover, but in the same breath. I can't not go visit my family and be able to play basketball for a good wage <laughs> and, you know, literally get paid to do what I love and get better at this sport. Also, I want to play, come back and play in the BBL at some point. So why would I go and take a job at Hanover when actually I want to progress my game here? I want to, you know, if I, if I don't represent England, I want to re- represent what English basketball is about and I want to bring my hard-nosed energy to a team here to help them progress and I feel like that's what I'm trying to do now so it was a hard decision not to coach in an international school in Hanover but it was not really one I I, only reason I really regret it to be honest is because Rosenheim itself the team wasn't as professional as Hanover was and they didn't prioritise winning like Hanover did and all I want to do is win so that was the main reason I regret not taking it What would you sum life up like in Germany what was it like living over there? Well, my first year, I played in a place called Kunigs Wisterhausen. Now, Kunigs Wisterhausen is in East Germany, near Berlin, but anything on the outskirts of Berlin is quite an experience. You will experience getting spat at. I was spat at. I was one of the only black people there. The only black people that were in Kunigs Wisterhausen were my teammates. So, we did get spat at. We were called niggers. We were called names. And um, we dealt with it, and I, we, we grew, and we, we were strong through it. Shelton Jackson, 
Glenn Isagay, who played at that Birmingham, um, Birmingham Knights. Sharon Jackson, who's now a teacher in Chicago, and Sharice Reese, who is now a teacher in California. We all dealt with the racism, but we were proud to, to, for the guys who weren't racist to experience what it was like. So, yes, it was difficult, but I will say this. I was paid on time. I was given private health care in every single team I played for. So in Rosenheim, I was given a, a knee, my knee, uh, my knee, my knee hurt. I'm not even sure what I did to my knee, but I had to sit down and rest my knee. But I got an MRI. I hurt my knee on the Monday. I had an MRI by Wednesday. I had the results by Friday. So one thing about the Reg, Reg 1 League, if you go to a good team and you go to a good place, you will be looked after pretty well. I played, when I played in, um, when I played in Hanover, I had a house to myself or I lived with one of a teammate. Um, the, the, we were given food. We had a food sponsor. We had, you know, we were just well looked after. The guys were really, really amazing. amazing. The infrastructure was really amazing. What was expected of owners was awesome. And I'd love for that to kind of mirror in England. That's kind of what I'm shouting for and talking for. Um, I don't want all the onus to just be on the players. I want the onus to be on the owners. I want the onus to be on the governing body. And I understand Basketball England is working hard to get funding and stuff like that, but also the owners can do more, in my opinion. So, like, like say, Reading Rockets, I spoke to the guys at Reading Rockets, what they do for some of their teams, their, te- their players, is awesome. You know, the, just little things like the food, the money for food on travel, the you know, making sure that mentally they're, they're okay. We, we had all that in Germany as a off the rip. You know, I had a meeting with the owner. Ishmael, this is what we're going to do for you. We need these details for your private health care. We need this, this, all that, all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure that's what imports get when they come here. And when they leave here, you know, what's AJ Carr going to say about England when he leaves? Hopefully he can say the infrastructure is better. Hopefully he can say this is working, that's working. So, that's one thing I'll take away from Germany. The basketball, yes, the coaching is awesome. I learned so much. The coaching courses are awesome. I had, I had one and a half good coaches, I'd say. I, I really liked Dirk. He was he, in Queen's Wisterhausen. He was a little bit un, unexperienced in player man management, but his, his practices were amazing. The, the structure was amazing. Then we had Thorsten Freiheit. His practices were amazing. His man management could have been better. But he got us into a winning program who was uh, disciplined. We did CrossFit every morning. We, he made sure we were eating the correct way. We had guys talking to us about our mental health and are we missing home and do we need a weekend off. Um, Hanover, um, Rosenheim, we had good behind-the-scenes guys like Stefan Lackey and Chris Lackey, the brothers. But the coaching was terrible and the, the, player, the players weren't trying to be as professional as I was, except me, to the acceptance of maybe... Juwan Hodges and uh, Dino Erchik and um, Osvaldis Gritzgas, who plays here for the Essex, Le- Essex Leopards, who is an amazing 6'7", 6'8", 3-man, who begs for the league to be more professional here also. So there's just a, it's a mix, but anyone that wants to play in Germany I, 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 to, to, to build their um, resume up, to come back and play in this country primarily... I say go for it because right now a lot of these coaches, uh, especially in the BBL, they're looking away before they're looking home. And they, they might say they're not, but evidently that's what's, what's happening. So, uh, yeah, it was a good experience, but always try if possible to play back in England. Always try. As you say, that happened for you with Worthing and you've made a great success of it. So how did that move come about and how have you sort of managed to make 
the impact that you have today in those out of those two seasons that you've been there so far? Well, um, I I knew of Bayer. I was a big fan of Bayer's the way Bayer played. But now I start to realise I wasn't just a big fan of the way Bayer played. I was a big. I ended up being a big fan of the way that um, Rob Patanastro runs his team. I was a big fan of actually how Rob Patanastro runs his team. His rotations were amazing. Um, his the way he had his team running. So I thought maybe if I go play with Zaire, that mentality will match. So it was a no-brainer for me. I spoke to Zaire in the summer. I said, yeah, I definitely want to come over. And one thing Zaire is honest, or, or always on about is winning the championship. And that's really important to be in that air. I don't want to be on a team. So now, young players, if, if you can be on a team that wants to win a championship, everything you do will be a premium. If you play basketball defense well, your defense will be at a championship level. If you shoot the ball well, your shooting will be at a championship level. And that's way more important than gathering stats. I see a lot of young people talking about the stats they're gathering. If you're losing games, you're not scoring or defending or rebounding at a premium. You're just doing what you can do. Okay? So one thing that Zaya said to me is that he wanted to win. And he wanted to build his youth program. Now, that's, that's, that's a double whammy for me. I want the youth program to build anywhere I am because that's what I want to give back to the game. And I want to win trophies because I want the youth to understand this is how to do it. And I can't really tell a youth player, listen, you need to go out here and run in the rain and do suicide and that stuff. If I'm not winning the game, they're not going to look at me and listen to me. So I need to win championships for my legacy to be intact in that kind of way. If... if Andrew Sullivan told me that that him doing jiu-jitsu helped him win all those trophies in British basketball. I'm I'm not sure it's going to be completely true, but I'm definitely going to have to listen to him because he is a champion in England. Okay, he did stuff in Europe, but he won every single thing conceivable in this country. Okay, he's the MVP. He won Defensive Player of the Year. He he is uh, he won trophies with Leicester. He won trophies with Newcastle. He won trophies with London. So. I have to listen. So that's what I mean about legacy. Um, so I definitely wanted to play for a team that wanted to win trophies. That, that was my thing. I wasn't chasing trophies. I wanted to contribute. And um, that's the main reason why it came about. And also, I really wanted to play with Zaire because I like to be the guy that's played with some of the best players in this country that's ever played. So Zaire, for me, is one of the best players to ever play in this country. Um, Demarius Bolds for me is one of the best players to ever play for this country play in this country Stephen Gill for me is one of the most athletic great shooters that's played in this country um, who else have we got we've got so many players that I've got to I've had the privilege of playing with Alex Awumi for me is probably I have not seen people talk about Jason Swain yes Jason Swain's a good shooter do I think that Jason Swain after all the things that I've watched is a complete better shooter than Alex Awumi when he, Alex Awumi, what Alex Awumi brings defensively and what Alex Awumi brings offensively in terms of rebounding, um, shooting the ball, just overall scoring. Can I say Jason Swain is a better three-point shooter than Alex Awumi? It's arguably, it's arguable. And at least I'm in that circle of people who play that way. So, you know, and, and luckily I got to meet, got to, not only did I get to play with um, Zaya Taylor, I got to play with Tom Ward. So Thomas Ward is a basketball player who played in Spain. He played at, uh, in America also, but he's one of the best pull-up jumpers, has one of the best pull-up jumpers and most pretty pull-up jumpers I've ever seen. And not only that, he's a great guy. He's, a, he's one of my favorite, he probably is my favorite teammate of the last four or five years because he's, 
he's oozes positivity and he's taught me a lot about what he's trying to give back. You know, BTM basketball, South Coast Elite. He's trying to do all these things. And it's it I being in that air every day, being around Battle Battle of London, um, Battle in the Capital, watching, being able to watch the next prospects, and that's all been brought to you by BTM, which Thomas Ward's a part of, and being his teammate at the same time, that is a that is the, has to be the ultimate privilege of what I want to what I want to achieve, you know. I, I was, I, you know, I, I I can't believe I almost forgot about Thomas Ward, you know. Not only and and what's crazy about Thomas Ward is before Zaye got here and Alex got here and I got here, him and Brendan Okawonfo were keeping Werbing Thunder in the in the NBL one with their play. I watched when I was in Germany. I used to watch the Werbing Thunder highlights and watch what Tom what Thomas Ward was doing, watch Brendan. Brendan Okavonkro was doing what Bud Johnson was doing, and it was one of my highlights of it was keeping me in touch with the game back in England. So I, I almost forgot about Thomas Ward and Brendan Okavonkro. So it's just one of those great teams, you know. It's, it will be down as one of the great teams, I think, personally. And I got to play with, you know, Kevin Moyo, who's one of the quickest guys I've ever seen. You know, so yeah, one of the great teams, Werbin Thunder, the last two years for sure. Would you say that your time at Thunder has been the highlight of your career then because that's what I was going to ask you next obviously you've gone from playing in the BBL at a young age having success in Germany and now with Worthing what has been the highlight of your career so far I mean there's many highlights in many different walks of life I mean if I was 30 now and you were telling me I was playing at Kooning's Worcesterhausen who are struggling for relegation every year I wouldn't, that wouldn't be a highlight of my career. But when I was in Queen's Worcester Housing, making all those shots and having a, a light shone on me at a young age because of what I wanted to do, yeah, I could say, yeah, me scoring all those threes was a highlight. Um, when I was at Essex Leopards, I won the trophy and, and I, I, I earned my, my role. I, I earned my role as a star. I, was, I didn't walk into my role as a star and I earned it and I had to deal with a lot from the coaching staff there. And... I earned that role to, 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 to help to be one of the leader scorers on that team. So, yes, but if I, if I'm 30, that's not, a, that's not a highlight for me. So, I have Hanover, obviously, getting my first coaching role, even if it was a temporary thing, and playing with those great guys. I've had so many highlights of my career. I don't think I have one highlight of my career, but I will say winning the trophy and the fashion that we did it, coming back from being down against such a great team like Loughborough uh, Riders, who have, you know, who, who had Rosanna Kitenge, and his career will speak for itself by the time he is my age. His career will speak for itself. Alex Roberts, who I really, really Obviously, getting revenge for the British guys that Carl Hemming, Carl Hemming has put a beating down on England basketball in the Commonwealth Games. So playing against players like that at their young ages, whose, whose um, careers will speak for itself in the long run. Um, now Harris, who's my favourite underage, who was my favourite under-18 player, last year and getting to watch play against him live. Um, yes, these are highlights at Worthing. You know, getting to the play playoff trophy playoff final wasn't a highlight because it was horrible. And I, I don't have that that semi I don't have that um trophy. I left that um I left that trophy in the arena. I do not I don't have that because it's not what I set out to do. I set out to win that win that um that, that competition and I didn't. But yeah, I mean I have a, the small highlights that I have in Worthing is watching someone not be able to shoot the ball for the shoot the ball at all, and now watching them be the best player on their team. I have a there's a girl called uh, Katie. I won't give her a second name because obviously security reasons, but she could not shoot the basketball at all. But she played so hard 
that I decided to put my time into her. Now, she's the most important player on her girls' team in Sussex. So, it's just that's a highlight for me, watching her do that. Now, her brother, her brother who wears, who's a boy, his inspiration is his big sister. You know, that is, that's perfect for me. His inspiration of getting better is him trying to beat his sister at basketball. I love that. And his, her, now her brother plays for me at the under-12 level. And getting to go watch her play in Sussex against, against high National League competition and dominate is one of the best things I can ever deal with. Because I remember when she couldn't shoot and she couldn't dribble and she was shy and she didn't talk on defense. Now she has to guard the best player on other team. And she's rebounding and she's running and she's playing multiple positions. That is a highlight for me because that's what I set out to do. I set out to inspire the next generation of players. So um, there's been many highlights all through my whole career. I couldn't just say Worthing was the highlight of my career, but it's definitely part of it. It's nice to hear that your highlights sort of stem off the court as well, like you say, with improving players and inspiring players. So as you say, you're 30 years of age. Is there anything left in the game that you want to really achieve before you decide to go away from the court? What, what does the future hold for you? I want to... I, I, I really, really need my trophies. I really need my league trophy. I really need my playoff trophy. I really need my cup trophy. And that can be in the BBL and that can be in the NBL. NBL 1. Um, I need those. So I'm chasing those. I, I'm trying to be like... One of my favourite players of all time was uh, Ronnie Baker. Uh, he, and he's, he, I'm chasing what he's done to be honest I'm really look, I really look up to Roddy Baker I watch the, old, the, the games on, 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 on YouTube um, so that's it if personally I don't care about MVPs I don't care about scoring titles but I would like to be on an all British starting five or at least an honourable ah, I don't want an honourable mention I want, to, I want to be on an all British starting five so I am pushing for that and if there ever is a defensive player of the year or or something like that I would love that you know because you know I, I think the game starts on defense I think the foundation of the game start on stopping your man from scoring so that's that's probably what I've got left to do the future I'm not too sure about the future I I, I look I, I go day by day um, I haven't decided if I want to be a coach or if I want to be a spokesperson for the game I don't know what's best suited for me I will continue I will endeavour to get my Level 3 coaching award because I think it's important to understand the game, not only for maybe coaching opportunities, but to understand the game and what, what, what's required of you as a coach at that level. Uh, I want to make sure I'm keeping, uh, I, I can be scrutinised at that level. Um, so I do endeavour to get that. But other than that, I need my trophies, man. I need my, I need my, 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 my trophies. It's so important to me. Like winning is so important to me. Everything I do, every weight I lift, every shot I take is only to win trophies. It's not to, not for individual accolades. Um, also, um, I want to see whatever team I'm with, hopefully it's worthy, whatever team I'm with, I want to um, help, the, help the, the, the whole infrastructure get better. So anything I can do to help that infrastructure get better, I want it to get better. Even if it's holding that team to account and telling them this is how you're actually supposed to do something, that was is also some sort of short-term goal for me. So yeah, man, like that's that's pretty much it for 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 what the future holds. Well, your enthusiasm just comes through so naturally, and I'm sure it makes everyone want you to achieve the things that you are setting out to. So. 
I'm aware you're taking too much of your time up, so I just want to say thank you for joining me on this latest episode of our Time Out podcast with such an open and honest view of, well, your experiences on and off the court. And, yeah, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you so much for having me, man. And, I, and I'm really proud to be part of Basketball England and I hope all these things are helpful in the future. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, so please like, subscribe, and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.